Hello, welcome to the Am I a Bad Mom podcast. I'm your host, Christy Ritz-King, trauma therapist, maternal mental health specialist, and mom of three. I have met so many incredible women through the various careers I've had over the years, and no matter where they are along their motherhood journey, they are powerful, they are brave, they are successful in their lives, and none of that matters because they all ask the same question at least once, and that is, am I a bad mom because fill in the blank. There are any number of ways to fill in that blank. And our mission with this podcast is to provide you all of the reasons why the answer to that question is unequivocally no. Every single time, no matter what, the answer is no, you are not a bad mom. And we're here today to show you exactly why. So welcome. We can't wait to help you feel better about the parent and the person that you are. Let's go. Hey, so Today's topic is one that is near and dear to my heart as somebody who spent a few years being a holistic health coach before I got into the mental health side of things. But also it's near and dear to my heart because I have so much personal experience as a mom with it. And today we're just going to be talking about how to live. (laughs) I don't know how to say this better, but like, what does it mean to be a holistic mom or like an organic mom or whatever? There's so many sort of names for it now. And there's so many opinions out there about how you should do it right and what's safe for your children and what's dangerous for your children and all of that stuff. So I'm here to talk about wade into the world of organic parenting, whatever that means. I'll, I'll give you my definition of what that means. I'll go just go back to my history as a parent, but then I'll, I'll fill you in on some of the other stuff. So I had my first kid and had pretty, pretty moderate to severe postpartum depression, undiagnosed postpartum depression. So for the first nine months or so, nine or 10 months of their life, her life, I was just surviving. <laughs> And yet, still sort of reading everything I could get my hands on, looking up things I could find about how to best raise a baby, how to best feed a baby, how to best diaper a baby, how to do all of that stuff. So I felt the pressure from like day one, you know, bottle feed, breastfeed, formula feed, make your own baby food, that kind of thing. And I would say that I skewed more toward that holistic natural side in the early days because I thought that's what I was quote unquote supposed to do. I thought that's what made me a good mom was all of these sort of things. And I had an older sister who had been, she's much older than I am, so she was literally a hippie. And so then she had a child later in life and she was definitely more on the sort of organic natural side. We also lived in an area that was really early to adopt that kind of stuff. Like we had mom's organic market grocery store and we had before Whole Foods was a thing. We had these like little smaller grocery stores where you could buy this kind of stuff. It wasn't easy, but you could find stuff like that sprouted things and you know, all of that. So I was never like an anti-vax person, but I definitely looked at the, schedules for vaccinations with my kids and was like, well, do we really have to do it this way? Like I challenged and questioned a lot of things in those early days. Actually, that's not true. Not with my first one. (laughs) I didn't challenge anything with my first one. By my second and third is when I started to challenge the vaccination schedule. And they're, they're all vaccinated. They have everything they need. I just asked the doctors to kind of take them into consideration, you know, constitution wise, size, weight, all of that stuff wise, a little differently than maybe the schedule said. And my doctors were cool. That was fine. I wasn't alone in that. There was plenty of us out there. So the point is, I thought I was like a student of motherhood. (laughs) I'm laughing now. And I don't mean to be laughing for those of you who are still in it and are still trying this. You're going to see why I'm laughing in a little while when I get to as my kids grew up. But I just want to paint the picture for you. They were toddlers. They were little. When they were babies and toddlers, I made my own baby food. And honestly, some of that was because we were broke. (laughs) And so the organic, quote unquote, baby food, the like a mother's best and all natural stuff that I thought I should be buying, we couldn't afford. And so I started making my own and freezing it in little ice cubes and all of that stuff. Fast forward to, you know, their toddler, their preschool, even those we moved. And so we're now in a place that is not nearly as, oh, also in those early days, I lived across the street from a woman who had spent a lot of years in Los Angeles. And so even though the area we lived in was really sort of progressive in this whole movement, she had just come from LA. So she added a whole extra level of it, you know, to it. So like, I kind of was like, how do I be like her? She's Mary's got it all figured out. She's, she's this like earthy, organic, like crunchy mom. And I so loved it. But then we moved to New Jersey, (laughs) 
which was not quite on that train yet. I think you could still smoke here in a lot of places when I first moved. And it was like, what? Like, you, where I came from, you hadn't been able to smoke in public places in years. And then I moved here and I was like, oh, my God, people still smoke? Like, it was a very, it was culture shock in New Jersey for me. And it was much harder to, like, find the, like, in the store to find anything that was going to be helpful. It's changed significantly since I moved. But when I first moved here, it was much more difficult. So then I became the like, how do I make my own granola bars? How do I, I mean, again, I can't believe I was this person. How do I bake my own bread? I feed my kids the green smoothies. Like, you know, all of that stuff. I sneak, this is big when Jessica Seinfeld had cookbooks where you could like sneak healthy stuff into their food. I'm dating myself completely, but I followed her recipes and made chocolate chip cookies with chickpeas, like all that stuff. I'm trying to paint a picture that I was very into how do I feed my children healthy? How do I make sure they're getting all the nutrients they need? How do I make sure they grow up to be, you know, have have beautiful, healthy bodies that, you know, specifically come from me feeding them? At one point, I thought, oh, I have finally achieved it. (laughs) I have achieved my goal of what I like to call a Tacoma Park mother. Tacoma Park is a neighborhood where I used to live, not in New Jersey, where I used to live. And when I was very young, it was a hippie community. So I babysat in that community for a family in that community. And I remember she used to go to a store and like grind peanuts into peanut butter and take it home. And her house always smelled like, I don't know, vinegar, probably. She was using all natural stuff. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s. And so she was like way ahead of her time when it came to all this stuff, either way ahead of her time or way left over from, you know, my mom used to kind of turn her nose up like, I can't believe this lady's still working this hard when all these prepackaged foods exist. Like, why would she be doing this when she could just go to the grocery store and buy these prepackaged foods? So depending on how you looked at it way back then, she was like, she wasn't ahead of her time. She was like slow to catch up to the modern conveniences of the world. But in my mind, that was like the pinnacle of parenthood. She just seemed to have it all together and her kids were lovely and they ate so well and they did so well. And she seemed like this. I don't know. She just was everything I wanted to be this woman that I used to babysit for. And so fast forward to when I have three of my own and I think I have finally achieved it. I have become that person. I'm grinding my own peanut butter and making my own granola bars. And I'm sorry to keep laughing, but I just look back on it with like what I thought was so important. (laughs) It seems seems kind of silly to me now. But not because nutrition isn't important, but just because I what I thought was going to come of it. So this is where we're getting in this episode. I'm constantly, even as a doctor of psychology, with a specialty in maternal mental health, I still ask my own self frequently, even with grown kids, am I a bad mom? Or what can I do to be a better mom? Or how can I do this differently to be a better mom? I had three kids. They were various stages of picky eaters. My bookends, the oldest and the youngest, much more picky than the middle one in those early days. The middle one in those early days ate anything I put in front of them, never complained, always just... And really, like, (laughs) now I'm like, what a little brown noser. They would, like, write all those, like, all about my mom things or whatever. It was always about my cooking and always about the food that I was presenting. And, oh, my favorite food is carrots and just a little, like, cheeky. But... At the time, I thought, oh, I've really done such a good job with them. Fast forward to when they're middle school, late elementary school, hanging out with friends, doing things that don't have anything to do with me. Oh, let me, but let me be clear. Hold on. I want to back up a little bit because in all of this organicness, I didn't restrict them, but I didn't have that stuff in my house. So if we went somewhere where they had soda, they drank soda. In the early days, they might have just only been allowed to have Sprite. As they've gotten older, it's... Yeah, in fact, I think that's true. Sprite or something non-caffeinated. And two of them would do that. One of them would call me from, like, grandma's house and say, can I have this? (laughs) Which I thought was so sweet, but... I never, I like, yes, of course, the answer is you can have that. If you're at someone else's house, you eat what they have. And if you are at a party, you eat what's served at a party. Like I wasn't that kind. I was not bringing the vegetable tray to the Halloween party at school. I was not that mom. It was in my home. I controlled the environment so that I felt like, okay, when I'm in charge of their food, they're getting what they need. And then out in the world, they can do whatever. So I was shocked <laughs> to find... When my kids got a little older, 
I can't remember exactly this, the events, the order of events, but I know for sure I have a core memory of like pulling the bed away from the wall in one of my kids' rooms and there just being hordes of like candy wrappers and fruit snack, like fruit snack wrappers and like Welch's fruit snacks. So my kids had Annie's, you know, they had Annie's organic fruit snacks. They had things like that. Not very many because those were so expensive. So those were the treat though. But like this kid <laughs> hoarding candy wrappers and Welch's fruit snacks wrappers. And that happened actually with both of my two younger ones at, at different times. I was like, what is going on? Where did they even get this stuff? And why are they hiding it? Like eating it in their room, like little, like little mice and then hiding it away. For somebody who thought, like, you're not really restricting them, you're not making them feel bad about it. So that was sort of an eye-opener. Like, oh, I think you are (laughs) making them feel bad about it and maybe restricting because they're hiding it in their bed. But also, the eye-opener of, like, when they got older and were sort of left to their own devices, they're going to eat what tastes good (laughs) and what is around and what their friends are eating and what, whatever. So I had to sort of examine my own stuff there. Because I started to feel like two things. One, with the like sweets and candy and stuff, I felt like, what have, what have I been doing all this time if they're just going to go eat and gorge themselves? But also, I was really cognizant of I didn't want them to feel any kind of shame or guilt or anything around any food of any kind. Because that's a mess. And I know I have that. You know, I have the, this is good for me. This is bad for me. This is... This is something that I'm going to have to pay for later. Like I have a, I don't have a great relationship with food and I didn't want to pass that down to them. And I had never talked about it in that way of this is good food. This is bad food. Like even the Welch's fruit snacks, when we had them on occasion, you have to eat something good or you've already eaten something healthy first. And so, yes, you can have this snack treat that tastes delicious and is fun. And there's a place for that. I kind of try to teach in that way. Like everything is fine as long as you're not eating too much of one and not enough of the other, you know, meaning you can't exist solely on Welch's fruit snacks. And That's just a biological fact. (laughs) You know, I try to keep it very sort of neutral in that way rather than this is good food or bad food or this will make you hyper or this will make you whatever. That said, my kids started to kind of pay attention to, ooh, I don't feel, especially that middle one, would notice like I don't feel good when I've had too much sugar. I don't feel good if I've had a soda. I don't feel good if I've had whatever. We'll serve them well in college, I guess, when they are on their own, but... It came down to in those moments of realizing I no longer had control. (laughs) And here along, all along, I thought that wasn't what I was trying to do. But when I lost it, I realized, oh, (laughs) I think I was trying to control this more than I thought. And really, for me, it was because I wanted to control their health. And this is why I didn't realize I was doing it. It wasn't that I was trying to control their behavior. It was that I knew I had a really bad relationship with food. I knew I had... I didn't at the time know I had body image issues. We'll get to that in a little while. But I knew I had a really bad relationship with food. I knew that my family struggles with weight-related health issues. And I also knew, just from watching my older siblings, like how hard it is to stay fit. Like We're all athletes that then aged and stopped playing sports. And so I knew sort of what awaited what awaited me. And I didn't want them to have the same relationship with food and exercise and fitness that I did. And so I was trying to control. Also, I have all of these diseases in my family that I went looking for prevention for. And that's okay to eat in a certain way to stay healthy is okay. But I made the mistake of falling into the trap of thinking I could control fully disease prevention. And that's just not fair to me or my children or anybody else. But I had to examine that in the beginning because rather than just sort of yell at them that they're making bad food choices or yell at them that they are going to get sick or restricting and keeping them away from places and people that have the stuff that they want to eat that's fun and good and delicious, I had to look at what is my goal here? Why am I even doing this? You know, in those early, early days, I was doing it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I thought that's what, quote unquote, good moms did. And then as we kept going, I was like kind of just doing the next thing (laughs) that I thought made sense. You know, the reusable snack bags and the homemade granola bars were what I thought I was supposed to do at this stage of the game. And so then when we got to this, like as they got older and more, more independent, 
I had to be like, well, why do I care? Like, A, why am I doing this? Is it to control them? Is it to control some outcome that I actually don't have any control over? Is it my last sort of vestige of holding on to them as they age? I want them to still be my babies and this is a way to do it. What is it? What's the reason? And I think there's a reason why my explicit parenting process starts with know thyself. (laughs) Because I think unless you look at your own and you tune in and you look inside your own motivation and your own reasons for the behavior, it's impossible to change, but also it's nearly impossible to manage your emotions around it if you don't know what the purpose or your reasoning was to begin with. So the very first thing I had to do was ask myself, what is it that I believe, value, look for in this instance when it comes to food, diet, exercise, those kind of things? And by diet, I mean like your diet, like not going on a diet, but like your diet. I knew that I was very concerned about body image stuff for my kids, specifically my girl, which was a mistake on my part to think that it was more important for her than than the other two, because I was proven quite wrong in that. It is a universal thing. (laughs) Body image is a universal thing. But one, I was very concerned about body image. Two, I was trying to rewrite their story so that it wasn't my story. I wanted to save them from a lifetime of worrying about their weight. I wanted to save them from a lifetime of, from an adulthood of trying to change your eating habits after kind of just eating crap and whatever you wanted for your whole life. And finally, I thought on some subconscious level that if I just fed them correctly, they'd never get sick. And same for me. I thought as an adult, well, if I just start eating better, I'm never going to get sick like my family. And, you know, again, There are dietary choices you can make that we know are a little bit better for your health, but it is not an all or nothing situation where like I'm going to die because I eat birthday cake or something like that, which is kind of where your mind can start to go when you get into this stuff. And so when your kids then start rejecting your suggestions, let's call it, or your rules or your whatever, your structure, it can feel really personal and it can feel like scary if if the reason you think you're doing something is to protect them. So I had to dig into like, not only why am I doing this, but what is important to me? What do I value here to sort of pass on? And above all else, with always with my kids, I value their doing my part to support their autonomy. <laughs> and I know that sounds completely out of left field. And also like the most important thing about parenting is teaching them how to not be parented. But yes, I truly believe whatever I can do while they're under my roof to help them be out from under my roof is the most important thing to me. So I sort of figured at that point, I think the youngest at that point is probably, I don't know, seven or eight. So like eight, 10, 12, let's say. I figured at that point, okay, I have laid the foundation of healthy eating And I have sort of lectured as much as I'm going to lecture about what good choices in food versus treats versus normal versus like daily foods, things like that. I think I've I've laid the foundation for that. And if they didn't get it, then maybe I wasn't supposed to, you know, I'm not trying to like mold them into something. I just wanted them to know. So I figured I did that and I figured, okay, well, I can control, what can I control here? I would still like them to get some vegetables and minerals into their body. So how do I do that that fits our current lifestyle? At that point, I was probably still making lunches, 8, 10, 12. I might not have been making the 12-year-olds, but I was making the 10 and 8-year-olds. So their lunches were still relatively balanced as far as like a protein, a carbohydrate, a snack, a treat, you know, a fruit, a vegetable, something like that. They were not the beautiful things you see on Pinterest (laughs) with rolled up meats and star-shaped carrots and all that other stuff. They were a couple different (laughs) reusable snack bags full of stuff. But probably one of those reusable snack bags was full of goldfish or pretzels because they have to put food in their bellies. (laughs) They need fuel to get through the day. And if I'm sending four things that they hate, they're just not going to eat. And that's not good either. So I could control sort of some of lunch, but I had to figure out exactly what I was doing there to maximize their calorie intake 
they did not, not a single one of them is a morning person. And so they ate quick breakfast. So I was not making hot breakfast and I was not having protein pancakes or whatever. It was like cereal and toast for the most part. Occasionally fruit, but they, none of them start off well with sweet. So they were never great with morning smoothies. And it was like mid afternoon when they were little kids and they were never great with like fruit and yogurt for breakfast. It's always been cereal, carbohydrates of some kind, whatever. I kind of just threw my hands up for breakfast. I know a lot of families who like their breakfast is a granola bar in the car on the way to school. And I think whatever it takes to get everybody peacefully out into the world in the morning, great. You have to know your own strengths, but you also have to know your own limitations because not everybody can get up in the morning and cook pancakes (laughs) or like make bacon and eggs for every breakfast. And you're fine if you don't do that. Don't beat yourself up for not having three hot meals a day for the kids. That said, if you're somebody who likes that, who feels good about that, who wants to, who is a morning person, do it every day. Those are the luckiest kids in the world that they get a hot breakfast. However, if somebody gets to sixth or seventh grade and doesn't want it because they want to sleep in for an extra 10 minutes and they just want a granola bar on the way to the bus... That has to be okay, too. You can't view that as a rejection of you, which is exactly what you're going to do at first, (laughs) because we all do. We all think we are pouring our hearts and souls into this hot breakfast and they don't want it. And that's a natural reaction. And then you have to kind of step back a little bit and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did I want out of this? I wanted them to feel good, to eat, to fuel themselves and to get us peacefully out of the house in the morning. Did I accomplish those things with bowl of cereal? Yes. And so coming back to that, knowing thyself, what is it that I'm looking for here? And did I do that? So when it feels to me like, oh, my God, this doesn't feel good. I can say, oh, but it isn't personal. I still got I still accomplished what I wanted to get accomplished here, which was that they're healthy and out the door and everybody's starts the day at a good mood. So that's number one. Know yourself. What is your motivation? Why are you doing it? If you're baking fresh granola for your kids because you think that's what good moms do, that is not a reason for it. <laughs> because let me tell you what, some some good moms make fresh granola. Some great moms d- have never made a single thing in their entire life. You making homemade treats for your kids is not the definition of good or not good mom. So let's just get that out of the way right away. If your motivation for doing something is because you want to be a quote unquote good mom, if your motivation for doing something is to be quote unquote a good mom, I would tell you first examine what you even mean by that. What is the definition to you of a good mom? But second, why is that a motivation? What do you care what other people think of how you're doing it? Instead, what you should care about is you and your kids. What's that relationship look like? What is the goal for you as a parent with them? And are you executing that? And then who cares what everybody else is doing? So first know yourself. Then in my case too, I had to understand, and I've talked a little bit about what the goal is. I had to understand what I wanted from our relationship. And again, if my goal of parenting is always number one, to have these like well-adjusted, supported, loved adults in the world, (laughs) then I have to examine the relationship even when they're six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, because I'm building those adults at the time. And so my goal, my number one goal is always these like autonomous, well-adjusted adults. And so the relationship that I want to have with them is one that you would have with an adjusted, a well-adjusted, healthy adult. And I don't want to be the taskmaster. I don't want to be the shamer. I don't want to be the mom who doesn't think they can make decisions on their own without my input, without my suggestions. I want to have a type of relationship with them where they know they're supported, but they also know I have total confidence that they can do it. Is that 100% true all the time? No. Part of the work is being able to let go of that 100% of the time and knowing that you cannot protect them from everything and that you cannot pave the way so smoothly that they never have to find a bump in the road. You can't do that. And if you do, (laughs) for a good amount of time while they're under your roof or in your house, you set them up for certain disaster outside. 
because you can't do that for their whole lives. You can do it for a good amount of time. You can try anyway. You can try to pave that road for a good amount of time. But if you do that, then you let them leave your home and they are ill-prepared to handle life outside your house. So for me, again, my number one goal with parenting is to try to raise these healthy, well-adjusted adults. And my relationship goals with them is to be a supportive guide, let's say rather than the authoritarian or the perfect one or the knower of all things. Look, I started this out by telling you like my messed up food history with myself. The body image issues came later <laughs> in my life. I was not, I was a teenager that I shouldn't say they came later. I realized I had them later. I did not think I had any kind of body image stuff as a kid except All of my memories are of me thinking I was this big, huge person next to my friends. And I didn't really realize that until I look at pictures of myself and be like, huh, I remember thinking I was huge then. And then looking at the picture being like, that person is decidedly not huge. So I didn't really acknowledge I had body image stuff until I was an adult beyond child rearing. You know, like they were already kind of grown at that point. So my food stuff got in the way and I or threatened to get in the way and I had to make sure that it didn't and that the relationship that I had with my kids was one in which I wasn't putting my stuff on them I'm trying so hard not to curse so if you notice that there's like a hitch in my voice it's because almost every other word out of my mouth in these few sentences has wanted to be a curse word and I've been trying not to use it so I'm trying not to put my own baggage on them. I know my baggage because I know myself and I know my goals and motivations. And I also know the kind of relationship I want. And it is not one in which I put my stuff on them. I project my stuff on them. So for you, it's like, what is your goal in here? Are you looking for body positivity? Are you looking for self-love? Are you looking to, you know, educate them so that they can make really good decisions? But Make sure that whatever that goal is, it's for them, not for you, not for you to satisfy something that you didn't get or that you still need, but instead for them to set them up for the success part of it. And then the third step of explicit parenting always is be curious, not judgmental. And what that means here is to lead with a curious mind to wonder when you come across the resistance, when you come across the kid hiding the things in their bed or the kid who used to eat everything suddenly only liking chicken nuggets because, oh my gosh, the amount of times I've heard that story. (laughs) I could quit my job if I had a dollar for every time I've heard somebody say like, they used to eat everything and now I can only feed them chicken nuggets. That instead of jumping to conclusions, getting mad, feeling hurt by that, being worried about that, get curious what's happening? How come you used to love broccoli? What's happening? And not in an accusatory, jerky, you know, I'm at my wits end. So as an aside, don't have these conversations when the first conflict happens or when the kid first stops trying to eat, because you're going to be at your wits end. (laughs) Have them sort of later, if you can coach yourself through those moments of like, well, nothing's going to be accomplished if I yell at them for this. But let me figure out exactly what's going on. Is it a texture thing? Is it a taste thing? Is it that their best friend at school suddenly only eats chicken nuggets? And so they think that's pretty cool. Is it that they just tried something? And now they want that instead of what you've been, you know, we all fall into these ruts of like, well, I know my kids will eat these six things. So I'm going to make dinner with those six things. But maybe they've just tried something new that they want, or maybe they're sick of one of those six things. But the point is, you don't know if you assume based on their behavior, anything you have to ask. And look, you can't ask a two year old. They're just going to tell you no and throw the plate. Even a three, four, five year old will probably just tell you, I don't like it. It's okay to just accept that for a while. We're going to get to what to do with that in a minute. So don't think I'm just going to let you don't think I'm telling you to just let the kid be in charge of mealtime. That is not what I am going for. But I am saying rather than you deciding, oh, now they're a picky eater or now they're this or now they're that or taking them to a nutritionist because you're afraid they're not eating enough or they're not getting anything. Take a step back and ask them. 
okay, if you don't like this, what is it you'd like? Are you hungry? What does that mean? You know, almost kind of figuring out like, does your tummy hurt? Are you tired? Like, what is it about this? Is it the time? Is it the food? Is it the texture? Is it the whatever? And again, they might not be able to provide you those exact answers, but you can kind of narrow down what's going on if it's yucky or if they're tired or if their tummy hurts or whatever. You want to start noticing sort of some patterns there and asking and getting curious about why suddenly do we have this resistance? And sometimes it's nothing more than like they're kids and they've decided they don't want this tonight. But if you start to notice like a real shift in what's going on or I don't want to say it's inconveniencing you, but yeah, it's inconveniencing you. You used to make the same thing and now you can't make it anymore because they don't eat it. If that's happening, trying to figure out, okay, well, what's the, where do we go from here? And you can't really figure that out on your own. You need their input a little bit to it. So I have one with taste and texture issues. I have one with just generalized anxiety. And so like lunchrooms weren't great and eating in big, big places, not great. Like it has nothing to do with the food. It has everything to do with the ambience and the lighting and all of that stuff or the noise from other people. And then I have one that just has some health stuff of their own body stuff of their own. And so I've gotten, they run the gamut. (laughs) And if I had tried to assume anything with them and please don't get me wrong. I did. (laughs) I have spent time assuming and making the wrong choices and doing the wrong things because that's not natural reaction, I think. And so I just want to be clear when I say on here, don't do this or don't do that or don't do this. I know from doing it all. (laughs) I am never one time saying that I got all this stuff right the first time or maybe ever. It's more of a, this is how it went for me, usually after a bunch of trial and error. So how about you, maybe you get to skip some of the trial and error and go straight to this. And this curiosity piece is really born from that. It's born from me realizing you don't know anything about anything. <laughs> you don't know, you don't know anything about these kids. You don't know anything about parenting. You don't know anything about the right or wrong choices. You need to talk to them and figure out for each one of them how it's going to work. Anybody who has more than one kid, when they realize they, they don't know what they thought they knew with one kid because one kid did it this way and then the second kid does it totally differently. Most parents will be like, oh yeah, I learned pretty quickly. I actually didn't know anything. (laughs) And so that's where this curiosity piece is born out of. So when you're talking about food and eating styles, it's helpful to ask the kids questions or try new things in a way that is non-committal. Hey, listener. If you appreciate what you get here as far as support and camaraderie and feeling like you're not alone, then I think you should really check out the Women of Wonder community that I run. It is exactly that. (laughs) It is a community full of support and camaraderie and you are not aloneness. It is meant to replace the old fashioned Facebook groups that we used to love before it got so mean and snarky and Facebooky. It is a place where you can ask the questions you have, where you can share the joys and share the sorrows and expect a supportive response, non-judgmental response. We meet weekly via Zoom. So we have people from all over the world that come and join us. And there are other supports like newsletters and uh, message boards and all of the things that you can and want and need in your life to provide you that support and scaffolding to help do this job we call motherhood. Check it out on my website, wonderinkwellness.com. It's called the Women of Wonder Community. And you can sign up today and get two months free if you do a year subscription. If you have any questions, again, always send me an email, but I would love to see you inside. And that gets to our last part, which is, oh, actually, before I get to our last part, but that was, keep keep that in mind, the non-committal piece in trying things, because we're going to get to that in a minute. But the other part of the curiosity, so you want to ask the kids questions, but then you want to also get curious about yourself. Why is this bothering so much? What am I afraid of? You know, for me, I told you it was control and it was this idea that I'm trying to protect them from every possible disease that I can. And so, and the control part was really controlling their, you know, their outcome. Like I didn't want them to be, to have a messed up relationship with food. And I thought I could control that somehow. Well, that's obviously not true. (laughs) And I also thought, okay, well, if I do these things, I can control their health and 
while it's a great idea to feed your kids a variety of foods and help them, you know, get the nutrients they need. And certainly when they're infants, that's our only job, really. While those are great things, you don't have 100% control over those either. And there is no one right way to do that. And so being curious about your kids, but also being curious about yourself and your motivation and your strengths and your areas of improvement is important. And the curiosity piece has grace built into it. So if you're curious, not judgmental, you're not mad at yourself or mad at them for doing it this way. You're just understanding that this is the way to do it. And again, I say all of this with the caveat that it took me a while to get here. This is not something that I did naturally (laughs) or right away. So that curiosity piece goes for both the kids and you in figuring out, well, what is the resistance? Why is suddenly have they shifted or changed or now resisting? And why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? What's behind that? And for me, it was this fear of, oh my gosh, if I can't even feed them correctly, am I a terrible mother? If I can't make sure they eat well, or if they're hiding Welch's fruit snacks wrappers in behind their bed, am I a terrible, restrictive mom who's given them an eating disorder? I definitely had that run through my mind, too. And so being really honest with yourself about all your fears and motivations is going to help you then move into, okay, what do I really want to have them get out of this? And how do I help them get it out of this? So that's the there's the two parts to curiosity is be curious about your kids and be curious about your own fears and concerns. And then going back to that, the final step of explicit parenting is be consistent and persistent. And the consistency with this is knowing yourself, knowing your goals for them and knowing what your relationship with them is like examining then what is the most important factor? One, how can I support that? And what boundaries or structure or roles is that going to require? And so, for instance, I talked earlier on about when I was still making lunches, I made sure it had something in it that was healthy and then a snack so that they would eat both. You can try to enforce things like you have to eat, you have to eat your healthy part before you can have the snack. But let's be honest, they're at school. (laughs) They are not with you. And so you have no control over what's happening. They might be trading their homemade granola bar every day for someone's Hershey bar. (laughs) Like, I mean, I know schools have gotten a little off the rails and they don't allow certain things in anymore, but whatever. My point is you're only sort of kind of in control of the food they eat when they're outside your house. You can make the lunch, but that doesn't mean they're eating it. So, For me, realistically, dinner was my opportunity to feed them the way that I hoped they would eat. (laughs) So I always made sure there was a vegetable at dinner. I always made sure there was a protein at dinner. Often we included a starch because that's what they like. (laughs) They like the starch part. They like the rice. They like the potato. They like whatever. So we ate sort of, and it wasn't every meal didn't look like 1950s. You know, some of them were casseroles or things in a crock pot or whatever, but they had vegetables and the kids had to consume those vegetables at dinner. One thing I did, which is very traditional and old school, was that we had sweets after dinner. So, you know, an Oreo cookie, like it wasn't crazy. We didn't have like dessert, quote unquote, every night, but like a Jojo cookie or, you know, a piece of... I don't know what, Halloween candy, if it was Halloween season, they had to have two things. They had to eat the vegetable, not even all of it sometimes. I knew some, like some of them hated broccoli, some of them hated cauliflower, but like I stopped making cauliflower because all three of mine hated cauliflower, so I would just hoard cauliflower for myself. (laughs) But I found what they liked, so that was helpful. Green beans, broccoli, like I understood what they liked, and then they had to eat that, and they had to have at least one bite of every, anything new. So they had to at least taste it. And that was because I had some taste and texture stuff. But they couldn't just decide by looking at it if they were going to hate the taste or texture. They had to put it in their mouths. Those were my rules. There's nothing to say those were the right or the wrong ones. We also happened to have dinner nearly every night together. I know that that does not happen in most houses. And I totally get it. As Again, as they got older... I was already in the habit of cooking it. So like, even if they weren't there with us, there was a plate of it for them when they got home. But I understand that that is not an option for everybody. 
whether you work late or you don't feel like cooking or pasta and, you know, spaghetti sauce is easier than making a starch and a protein and a whatever. Again, you have to figure out what's right for you. For me, making sure they got a vegetable in at dinner was like, I felt like super mom <laughs> if I could do that. Keep in mind, that was it. They were not eating a single other vegetable for the rest of the day. So certainly there are a lot of people out there would think I was not a good parent because they weren't getting, you know, the minimum amount of whatever. I couldn't make them eat smoothies. Occasionally I could get them into a smoothie or green juice. When they were little, it was easier. But as they got older, not so much. Unless it was from Smoothie King and it was like 95% sugar. (laughs) And so I'm not really sure how healthy that was. For us, it worked. And I think as adults, I've raised kids to know what they like, but also to understand certain things aren't going to make them feel very good. Certain things are going to make them feel great. Some things are for emotional eating. You know, sometimes ice cream is because you feel like you want a hug and that's okay too. They have, I think, after all these years, a healthier relationship with food than I did. I don't know if it's the healthiest or if it's perfect or if it's never going to, they're never going to struggle, but they definitely have a healthier understanding of nutrition and relationship with food, therefore, than I did growing up. That was always part of the goal was not to put my dysfunction on them and not to overburden them with like trying somehow to rewrite my story. And I think it worked. One side benefit was we had these family dinners and I feel like that's where I learned the most about my kids was family dinner and car rides to and from either sports or, you know, play practice or whatever. So I kind of didn't do it fully at the time, the family dinner piece. It was more of a like organizational. When I had three little ones, it was like, let me just get everybody at the table at one time and be done with it. But it turned out to be one of the greatest things of our parenting was that we had these dinners with our kids at least three to four nights a week where we talked about school and talked about, as they got older, talked about life in the news and what was going on out in the world and all kinds of pretty deep conversations that we still really look forward to when they're home as adults, when we get to get them all around a table at once. It's great fun. So that was a side benefit. That wasn't necessarily something that I thought about when I started this way, but it became a driving force behind wanting those family dinners was getting time with them as they got older. So the four steps, the four steps are the same all the time. It's know yourself, know what you want of their relationship, be curious, not judgmental, and be consistent and persistent. In the case of how to feed your kids, let's put that as the sort of general topic here. I would say the knowing yourself part is the main starting point because there is so much noise out there about how to do it right. I just watched a friend of, well, like a woman I know from social and we both went to the same nutrition school. She is a very, she's way more diligent about the healthy eating than I have become in my old age with my kids. She eats really well. She cooks really well for her family. They have a, whatever. Anyway, she put a box, a picture of a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese on on Facebook, I think, or something, just trying to talk about like, hey, balance, right? When you have teenagers, they got to eat what they got to eat. And she kind of got lambasted for it. Like, how can you call yourself a holistic mom? Or how can you call yourself an organic mom? Or I don't even know if she calls herself any of those things, by the way. But people went bananas over this Kraft macaroni and cheese. And that is kind of what inspired this episode, because I thought, Man, we are all out here thinking there is one right way to do this parenting thing. And if you deviate from it, people will be all over you. Like, what's going to happen for one night if they eat crab macaroni and cheese? I'll tell you what, nothing and nothing is going to happen to them other than maybe they're going to decide they don't like crab macaroni and cheese. I know my kids, when they got to the crab, like we had mac and cheese in my house. I mean, I had a babysitter a few nights a week and and she made either chicken nuggets or Kraft mac and cheese. Anyway, we had Annie's organic because, you know, that was my, like, I honestly, if you look at the boxes, I'm sure they're almost identical, but for me and my brain, it felt better to have the white cheddar cheese Annie's than the bright orange Kraft. That said, my kids got to college, my oldest got to college and she was like, Oh my God, the joy of, like, she had discovered Kraft macaroni and cheese for the first time because they made it in little, like, you can just pour hot water, like cup of soup style. So she could just eat it in her dorm room because she did not like the cafeteria because it was too big. 
And though ultimately, I think she was like, I really like the Annie's better, like the taste of the Annie's better. So for my own kids, she discovered through McCraft macaroni and cheese, like the downside of it was, oh, I don't actually like this as well as I like the other one. Also, what they're learning when they get into adulthood is it is expensive to eat this way. So to say, oh, you're a good mother if you feed your kid organic vegetables rules out like probably 90% of our country because they can't afford organic vegetables and it's not necessary. You know, I remember the freedom from learning that, like making the connection that like organic doesn't really matter if a fruit or vegetable has a skin because organic usually means it's pesticide free. At least that's why I was doing it, theoretically, because someone, they, told me I should. I was doing it because they told me I should. And then I realized, oh, you're not even eating the stuff that gets to the, like, the stuff that's sprayed with pesticides. You're not eating that if you have an orange or an avocado or a banana. I remember bananas. That was, like, life-changing when I, when I realized I didn't have to buy organic bananas. Because you just peel it off anyway. And that difference was like $4 a week to go from regular banana to go from organic bananas to, to traditional bananas with the cost. So this idea that you can only do it one way, there's only one healthy way, you're poisoning your children if you don't like that's my favorite that you call things poison that people call things poison. Please, come on. <laughs> you're not poisoning your children with Kraft macaroni and cheese or with a non-organic piece of fruit. So going back to all of those steps helps you to eliminate that noise. Eliminate the people that are out there telling you that it's poison if you do it this way, or that are making you feel guilty because your kids eat Halloween candy, or you're not making their granola. Like, just know what's important to you. Know what's important to your kids. Pay attention to what kind of relationship you want with them and pay attention to them and how they need to walk through the world. How can you support them going through this world? When you figure that out, when all of that's in alignment, when you know yourself, when you know your relationship, when you're curious instead of judgmental with yourself and them, and when you are consistent with whatever then you come up with, those first three things help you to be consistent and persistent because It's no longer a personal thing when things go wrong because you're like, no, this is what I know. Or I got to pivot because it's changed to this. And you can eliminate all that stuff from the outside telling you that you're a bad mom because you're not doing it this way. You'll be able to answer the question, am I a bad mom? Much easier when you're in alignment with all of those things. When you figure out your own family values, your own trajectory that you want you and your kids to be on. When you're clear on that then you won't even ask yourself anymore if you're a good or bad mom. doesn't mean you don't have to stop. Keep listening. (laughs) Please keep listening. Even if you know the answer is no to am I a bad mom, we're still going to talk about this kind of stuff. And look, it's kind of fun to look back now on myself as a mom of young children. And it's easy for me to kind of chuckle and laugh now. But I want to be really clear, especially if you're in it right now. I was really stressed out by it. A, because I thought, Everybody who was telling me the ways to do it, and I couldn't do it that way for whatever reason, whether it was because it wasn't available or because we didn't have the money. When my kids were little, we were not open to buying organic things (laughs) very often. I discovered, I think, when I moved to New Jersey that Walmart sold organic fruits and vegetables, and I started shopping at Walmart. But prior to that, I couldn't afford organic anything. We weren't getting Annie's. We were getting craft because that's what we could afford at the time. So I remember those days of thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible parent because I can't afford the fancy food that someone on the Internet is telling me I'm supposed to be able to afford or I can't. I mean, now I can't even imagine if I was trying to do this now with like the homesteaders that are on Instagram, making it look like everybody should be churning their own butter. You need to know yourself and it's easy for me to say this stuff with a smile now, but I want you to know I I remember what it feels like to be in it like that. And these four things of understanding you, understanding your family values, understanding your kids, they're going to help you feel less of all of it. Less guilt, less shame, less embarrassment, less whatever. You're going to be able to sit sit tall and be proud of the parenting you do because you're listening to yourself and not the rest of the world that's telling you the way to do it. So 
That's all I got for today. The answer to are you a bad mom is decidedly no, no matter what you feed your kids. (laughs) That is not a factor of are you a good or a bad parent. So just keep that in mind and remember that. Hello, welcome to the Me Time segment. Today's whatever recommendation, I guess, sure, it can be a recommendation, is a television show. Shocker, right? I know you're so not used to me talking about books or television shows or music. But today's is literally fun, just fun. Like you're not thinking, you're not worried about the world, none of it. It's just a great, fun show. And I think it didn't really get a lot of... I'm not sure why. It must have come out at the same time as something else because we've been in such a like dark hole with all these strikes from an entertainment perspective that I'm surprised that this one didn't get more press because it came out around the the like early days of the strike when we were starting to be like what are we going to watch? Anyway, the show is called Glamorous. It's on Netflix. It has Kim Cattrall at the helm. She is a former model turned makeup maven and she I'm trying to think how to describe it to you without giving too much away. But so it's really about her. It's her, a little bit of her journey, but also it's then about all the employees of the makeup company sort of finding their own voices. The star who plays Marco Mejia is an actor named Miss Benny, who is tra- a trans actor. But in the show, in the beginning of the show, is playing more of a non-binary or femme appearing man and then there's some storyline there that I'm not going to ruin for you but it's about Miss Benny's character Marco finding their voice in the whole industry and also in their personal life too so it's just great it's a lovely little cast of characters if you like Hallmark movies it's a little bit like better writing in a Hallmark movie like more character development better writing in a Hallmark movie not quite so predictable as a Hallmark movie but that's still that same lightness and like things tend to work out after some conflict but it's just good fun nice good fun and if you like style and makeup it's a beautiful show also so there's that as well it's called Glamorous it's on Netflix season one aired I want to say like May or June And so it's still sort of in there, but it doesn't have a lot of hype. So go watch it because I don't think there's been a season two announced yet for because not enough of us have watched it. So go watch it so that they're they film a season two once we get all these actors back to work. That's all I got today because I've spent a lot of time recording podcasts and working that I haven't had much time to do much else for me, but I have binge watched some glamorous. So go and enjoy that on Netflix. And until next time, take some time for yourself. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you heard something today that made you feel better about your parenting and about yourself. Remember, if you have a moment, we would love a review. It helps more people to hear about us. If you like the episode, share it with your friends. And of course, subscribe so that you know when it's going to drop every single week. Thanks again. Until next time, keep asking those same questions and know that the answer to am I a bad mom is always no. No.